has an effect. It will allow you to travel lighter if, if entertained. Yeah. It will allow you to travel lighter. Your attention is enslaved to attending this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity because you are identified as that. So your attention doesn't know any better. It's just going to circle whatever you take to be the most important thing. And you've given the idea of self the biggest meaning you've ever given anything, that it's you. Your ability to give meaning is unbelievable, or to entertain is unbelievable. But what we've done is we've given an idea, a thought, the biggest meaning anything can have for us, which is, it's me. Yeah? Once we do that, that ability to entertain is now been claimed and taken over by this obsessive neurotic idea, a mental construct called self-centeredness. And in that, your entertainment is, is enslaved to very, very, very archaic lack of possibilities. You know, you just go over the same old, same old, and you tell a new story about the same old, same old. And you and I have covered every bit of the acreage of self-centeredness. There is nothing hidden anymore. You are never going to find the solution there. It's a done deal. You've tried every formula. You've done, you've lived under the hope that someday I'm going to arrive, and when I do, everything will be okay. Yeah, all the times that haven't been okay will be washed away by the okayness of my arrival date. Well, how many times have you arrived? Only to have to book another trip somewhere else, yeah? To finally arrive. I haven't arrived yet, you know, whatever. So this self-centered modality of thought and interpretation takes away our ability, and it's a natural state that we give everything the meaning it has, and we have an incredible ability to entertain. That's what our head does. And yet, when you entertain that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, it cripples those abilities. Yeah? Because then you only entertain what this modality presents to you, which is you're living in separation, this place is real, I'm perceiving something that's inherently real, and therefore I must be inherently real, and you forget any ability to entertain wholeness and oneness, but you may chase it as a goal in this two-ness. You, that is not oneness. Oneness is recognizing there is no two-ness. That's it. There is no, there is no achieving oneness in two-ness. There's just a recognition there isn't two-ness. Yeah? And then the oneness, it's, just, it's not a thing or an object that you and I come close to or move away from. It is a modality. It's, a, it's an activity called oneness. And then you get moved by that, and after a while, being moved by it for quite a while, you start intimating what it is. Yeah? And it, has, it may present certain qualities. You can't see it, feel it, taste it, or touch it, but because you and I are conscious, you can intimate it. Yeah? You can sense it. You can entertain it. Yeah? And when you entertain that, and it frees you from the constant preoccupying aspect of selfing or obsession with self, what happens is a giant new sky or field of, of possibilities show up. Instead of the possibility of I will be okay after I, I suffer for another more days or whatever it may be. You meet someone who's having a terrible time. You go, how are you? Oh, I will be okay. It's always put off into the future, be it a second or 20 years from now. That's totally out of the window when that self-centeredness is broken. You recognize there is okayness. There's okayness. That the unokayness is contrived. It may seem real to you, but if you hold on to your fucking seat, it will pass. Because it doesn't have reality. It passes, yes? It's when something like that occurs, and when it, ha when it happens to you, that you in your head must have reality to you. The head, the you that you feel you are, has to have continuation, or it wouldn't seem real. So it, it injects its continuation into the problem, so, because that problem reflects its reality. Yes? The problem reflects the reality that I'm a historical, never broken, never non, never paused continuum called Paul. It's bogus. It's a mental construct. There are so many holes in it, there's so many pauses, there's so many gaps when you see life from an unadorned, unadorned position of selflessness, it's, so, it's unbelievable work for this thing to reduplicate itself all the time. Because it's constantly running into giant speed bumps that show its non-existence. 
but we're in such a trance, living in this linear, historical, time, sequence, cause and effect, we're out to lunch. And so now we entertain the possibility that someday I may be okay. But that okayness is going to be based on 30 or 40 variables. Yeah? It'll have nothing to do with me. It will be a consequence if everyone treats me differently, if I start making money, if I get this babe, if I go here, and this and that. And then if all those circumstances and situations align themselves up, it will create, create a sense of okayness. Anything that seems to be made can be unmade. And that's exactly what happens. So you're trying to make an, an okayness, and therefore you live in an un-okayness most of the time, in the pursuit of making it okay. The fact is, the un-okayness is the bullshit. Total bullshit. You're, you're assuming something that isn't so is so, and then you're off to change it or make it better, and you wonder why all your solutions don't really work, because it's truly an imaginary problem. If you apply a solution to an imaginary problem, you'll never get relief from that problem because it's not real. The, the applying of constant solutions to it is what gives it the sense of being real. The solution is to realize there isn't a problem, as I believe it to be, and therefore you're out of it because you've never been in it. You can't get out of anything if you first give it reality that I'm in it. As soon as you believe you're in it, it causes you to seek to get out of it. That's truly being in it. That's truly being in the hamster cage. In the hamster cage, there's an in and out. In the hamster cage, there's an entrance and exit. But none of them leave the cage. They're all part and parcel of the cage. There's an entrance. Oh, I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. That's being in it both ways. Being in it and being out of it. It says self can't get out of self exactly. The cage is the self. If you're identified as a self trying to get out of that, that's being in self. But not in the cage. In the cage, there's a recognition of when you're in self and out of self. That's not it. The real being out of self is realizing you were never in self. It takes you out of the cage. Ball game is called off. Yes? You're not winning. You're not losing. Nothing ever occurred, so there's nothing that has to be undone. And you're immediately presented and... and your faces, your original faces, right up against what's happening. There's no, oh, I've got to prepare for this. Nope. There's no preparation. It's like getting kicked out of a plane with no chute. Yeah? You realize you can fly. That's what occurs. But not as a self. That's the dilemma. Many people are still waiting because they're waiting for the self to get it. That's why you seem to be waiting. Because the self's never going to get it. You're never going to get this message. You're never going to have an awakening. None of that ever happens. Something just dawns on you that's always been so. It doesn't have to look like an event that happened to you. It's always available at all times. But it's not like something that can be entered or left. Because that would take a person to enter and leave. Or an individual to enter that other individual thing called truth. There isn't that. It's not the case in my view. That there is only truth. So all the while you're trying to get in truth, that's truth. Attempting to get into truth. If you would just stop for a second, and like an AA says, pause when agitated, any time, at all times, there's identification of self, you're living in total agitation. You may not recognize it because it's become normal, but your head is totally agitated. It's driven by irritable restlessness and discontent. So we say, pause when agitated. That means pause, period. Because you're basically always agitated. So the pause, the pause isn't something that happens between agitations. The pause is your portal. That's it. That's your exit point, if you want to look at it as an exit point. It's always available at all times. The pause is the freedom. Not from anything. Those are byproducts. It's freedom, period. It's not from anything. Yeah? Because there was no thing to be free from. That's the freedom. I'm not free from self. There has never been a self. I don't have to be free at all. I have, I have no need to be liberated because there's nothing to be liberated. Yeah. It's just a recognition of what's always so at all times. But you won't recognize it when you have the glasses of self on because you'll see oneness is twoness. You'll make a truth... You'll make truth an object that me as a subject will know. That's totally not happening. You're not an individual subject. Yes? 
If you believe you're a subject, there's certain rules in this place. One of them is dualism, you want to call it duality, which is subject-object, yes? That's how our life is, that's how this seeming reality is built for us. In self-centeredness, you're the subject, and everything becomes an object to you. So maybe you want to know God, yeah? But you want to know God as an object to your subjectivity. That's why you can't know it. That's why it says God is everywhere, but you don't feel it. You don't feel God, do you right now? No fucking way. Your whole life would be different if you did. But how can you not bump into it if it's everywhere? You mustn't be everywhere. But how can you not be everywhere? Exactly. So what you do, the mind makes up a place I like to call what's not happening, and in what's not happening, God cannot be happening. Because you're happening in what's not happening. What you're not is what's happening in what's not happening. Yeah? If you ever get brought into the moment, which you cannot be out of, it's very obviously clear that what you think you are is not what's happening. You're the mother and father of the places you call what's not happening. You're the biggest what's not happening. The idea of being Paul. It's the biggest one of all. Without that, there would be no allure for what's not happening. I swear to God, you wouldn't be interested in tripping out in the past and the future. You have no interest in it. You would be so attentive to what's happening because you would be aligned with what's not happening. The selfing is what's not happening. And it finds its entertainment or its expression in what's not happening. So, you feel more like you when you're just obsessing about what's not happening, yeah? They live each other. That's why it says if you can get in the moment, it's like being in the vicinity of, let's say, the presence. You'll probably bump into it. If you're at, so in AA we say, a day at a time. So, this huge, crazy head totally obsessed with self that's just roaming in past and future and producing like giant factories of suffering and resentment and then bringing all those products to the market of now and dumping them like Chinese lousy goods, you know? Penny apiece. Thousands of anxieties all brought about by you entertaining what's not happening. Where else, where are they? Where do you get your anxiety from? In this moment, there's no, this field, this moment is not a field that grows what's not happening, or anxiety. This moment is, is, is producing its own crop. Yes? You go into what's not happening, and then your head brings about what's not happening to what's happening. And your poor freaking body acts as if what's not happening is happening. So if you're worrying about next Friday, and it's going to be a terrible day to you, Yes? And here it is Wednesday. It totally seemingly takes you out of Wednesday, which is no, there's no threat at all going on in this room. And then you go into that mythical place where there's tons of threat. And your poor body feels it now in this place. So you're not even responding to what's going on. You're living an interpretation. You're not even aware of your basic fact of being conscious contact. The head is playing God, just like it says in AA. Quit playing God. This is the how and why of it. First, quit playing God. So the how and why of it, to me, is like an all-encompassing point of the message, yeah? This is the how and why of it. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more defined. Look this way. This is the how and why of your dilemma. What is it? Quit playing God. <clears throat> why? It doesn't work. Oh. So... How does your head play God? It'd rather be in what's not happening than what's happening. Yeah? Where does your mind mostly dwell? Does it dwell in this moment? Are you thinking about this very present second? Or are you thinking from the past and the future all the time? So if you looked at basic value, your head must value past and future more than now. Obviously. Or it wouldn't be dwelling there all the time. It's not being forced to dwell there. It's not like an unruly dog. It goes there because you appear there. And you love self. Your mind loves its own making. You cherish it. In Buddhism they call it cherishing. It's a very good adjective because you love it. And you want, you're hoping that it will be special one day and I'm going to hold out until it is. Yeah? And so you go in the past and the future and then you dwell in what's not happening. All the while what's not happening is in what's happening. Yeah? But... When you're in what's not happening, and it excludes that fact. 
of what's happening. It overrides what's happening to you. See, the funny thing is, the God is such a small God, it's very hard for you to convince a mythical Friday of yours is happening to someone else. Because they're in Mythical Tuesday, or last Monday. So very rarely are we on in the same mythical place, so that when we communicate, the person will actually get why we're so afraid. When you are in your little mountain range, when I look at them, they, they're molehills to me. And when I'm in my mountain range, you look at them and they're molehills to you. Very rarely are we on the same mountain range. Yes? So it's very difficult to communicate how seriously fucked I am next Friday. Today. It's hard to convince you, hey, I'm going to be seriously fucked Friday. But it's Wednesday. I know, but fuck that. Next Friday, I'm really fucked. Oh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, but it's not happening. But you are in Mythical Tuesday. Whew! Yeah. And there's no meeting, no meaning. So there you are, and this, so this power of God up here is very minimal. It can't even produce the same Mythical Friday for all of us. It can only produce it for you. Yes? Why is that? Why is it that when you share your Mythical Friday with me, and I'm not in it, I have an incredible amount of wisdom about your Mythical Friday. I see how insane it is. As soon as you start talking, I'm bored about it in a minute, yeah, because I've heard it thousands of times. And I look at it and I say, hey, like Solomon, I go, you know, that wouldn't probably be a good idea to do. And, you know, maybe you should think it over again. Not think it over again. Maybe you should ponder it or something. This and that. And yet, I'll have the same thoughts in me, but because I think they're mine, I'm listening to them very attentively, as if they're like the Greek oracle, providing me good, very valuable information. What's the difference? It's the same thoughts. Thoughts are thoughts. Yeah. What's the difference? The difference is identification as the my of it. When you're having the thoughts in your head, they sound like you, you, because they come from the sound of the vocal cords of this body. They're not. It's not your voice. It's the vocal cords of this body. But see, you're identified as this body. So this is a double whammy. So the thoughts are wrapped with that sound, and they're very, very entrancing to you. If I had your thoughts in my head, I'd see the insanity of them in about five minutes. But the same thoughts, called mine, have I've been listening to for 40-something years, like very attentively. Why is that? It's not the thoughts. That's not where the power lies. The entrancement, the hypnotism doesn't... It's not in the thought. It's in the my of it. It's you believe they're about you or you're the thinker of them. See, there's like this. You're in like this tunnel vision of self-centeredness. And so your consciousness is captured by the system, so you're aware. So when thoughts arise, you see them, just like you'd see a bird if it flew by the window. Yeah. If I was looking out the window, my eyes were open, if a bird came by, I'd see it. Now, I may say, I didn't want to see that bird, but I would have seen it. There's, no, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah? The same thing, I'm conscious, and so when I'm conscious, whatever arises in my head, I'll see. Yeah? But I don't see everything because there's a tunnel vision. Self-centeredness, yeah? And right underneath that tunnel vision, there's two old thoughts that you don't see, which is, I'm the thinker of all these thoughts, or all these thoughts are about me, or about my life, or about my girlfriend, or about my money, my, 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 my. That's the real bondage to the thoughts, not the thoughts themselves, because you'd have immunity to them if you didn't think they were about you. You would have absolutely very little problem with thoughts. But because you believe they're yours, you have an incredible amount of problem with them. You don't have any immunity to them. As soon as your attention opens them, stuff comes out, information gets downloaded, it's taken and used by self-centeredness, yes? And that self-centeredness by memory and, and then regurgitating more information opens up more thoughts, and that's called obsessing with self. So the thoughts appear, they're just like flips of energy, your mind translates it into language, bing, and then it opens up like a Pandora's box, and a lot more thoughts and feelings come up, and you get entranced by them because you think they're about you or you're a thinker of them. Yeah? And now you're bonded to that show, and that show writes a freaking big story about what's not happening. And you get to live that adventure story. Yeah? And even if you want to get out of it, you can't seem to get out of it. Because you do believe you're in it. So where's the, where's the point where you can at least start entertaining 
with the hopes that some immunity will rise, well, it's best not to get it when it's already started its momentum. Like most people live on the consequential level. That is not a good place to live. Because there you're in the, the hallway of shit and fans, yeah? You're in that giant hallway. And shit and fans are happening, and the, the fans are being turned on, and the shit's aligning with it, yeah? And then you tend to curiously look at, what's that? And then you get hit in the face with the shit. And then it's, you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort to clean up the shit, yeah? The, it's like landing in flypaper. Every step gets sticky, yeah? Every step gets sticky, and you want more and more to get out of it, it makes it even stickier. Yeah? That's what it's like. You get caught. And in that court, for us, generally as alcoholics and addicts, usually you get, you in, get introduced to bureaucracy. You go to rehabs or jails or having urinalysis tests for three years or having to go to DUI class. And more and more, you're stuck, in a sense, on the flypaper. You want the wings, but the wings even make it worse. Yeah? Because now you're trying to escape and you're more and more stuck. And now... The idea of entertaining freedom, you're stuck in this world that you've made real. Yeah? It's demanding its, its pound of flesh and attention. You've got to keep going to see the, the parole officer or the therapist or this or that, just to try to make something work that's not working at all. Yeah? Jeez. So here, you, if you could see a thought as not yours, just see the thought. Yeah? Because that's what's actually happening. There's just a seeing of thought you will notice that it's sort of like, let's say each thought weighs an ounce. And let's say you have a thousand thoughts today going through your head. A thousand thoughts arise and you are aware of them. And each thought weighs an ounce. So during the day, you would end up traveling with carrying a thousand ounces. Yeah? Most of us are used to that. It doesn't even seem like it's any exertion. We're used to traveling like that. Now, or that you would be actually calling traveling light. You'd be happy as hell if that was happening. But what most of us are... We're injecting, the mind is injecting a pound into each thought, yeah, by the my of it. When that my is coupled with the thought, each thought is a pound, now you're carrying a thousand pounds. Going up that hill that seemed to be no trouble is going to be a lot of trouble. You're going to be traveling heavy, or that will be like the experience here. You'll be traveling very, very heavy because each thought is going to be weighed by you thinking it's about you or you're the thinker of it. Because what happens is if it gets more thoughts. If you see a thought as yours, you immediately judge it. Was that a good thought or a bad thought? If it was a bad thought, more thoughts arise. Oh, I can't share this with anybody because they'll think that I'm a bad person. Oh, and there's thoughts about being a bad person. Uh, that would be terrible if I'm a bad person. At all, at all costs, I can't let anyone find out I'm a bad person. All right, more thoughts. Boom, boom, boom. It's just geometrically. And you're obsessed, Yes. Your attention goes from each one, and more and more coupling occurs, and you get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, and you want some fucking relief. And then you're out to do almost anything to get some. So you'll know totally better, hey, if I do that, it's going to really fucking, it's going to be terrible, and then you're doing it, because you're powerless, because you need relief. It's an imperative. Yeah? So the irritable restlessness and discontent causes the seeking to occur, you seek in a very ignorant way, which compounds the irritable, restless, and discontent, causes more seeking, more seeking in an ignorant way, and you get caught in this loop, yes? Darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. After a while, you invalidate your, even your ability to know what's right or wrong anymore. You inv everything gets invalidated. All your gauges and barometers that are really working, because what's answering them isn't what's working, yeah? The alarm system in you, that irritable restlessness and discontent is a valid alarm. It's telling you, hey, become alert, something's off here. But what, what always answers all the, the alerts is the problem, because you're identified with the system that you want relief from. You're identified as the center of it. How can self get out of self? So every alarm goes off. It's like you're at the, you know, you're at that desk. All right, yes, we'll send a car, you know. <laughs> yes, you, hopefully, do you have the hopes you'll be saved? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, the car will be there soon. <laughs> yeah. There's no intention of saving anyone or anything. Yeah, so you go, and then it hits the fan. Oh, this one didn't work. Oh. So immunity, if you just held it. Let's start with an alcoholic thought. Even if you held it as an alcoholic thought, you'd have relief. 
it would drop at least half a pound off of each side. Yeah? Because you've learned a little bit about alcoholism. And you see that a lot of people seem to have it. So it won't be so terribly special that you had a bad thought. You realize many people have bad thoughts. Yeah? I don't have to hide this thought, and I don't have to think about this thought. Yeah? I can just note it. Okay, okay. But the same thought, if you have an old thought that you should be good, and you have what you call a perverse or bad thought, you make it a secret. You hide it. You hide it all over here, and then you have to spend a lot of money and time, attention, for security, to make sure no one sees that little perverse thought and until you get home and get on the porno on the internet. You know? And then you have your little f- role as a big sponsor, sponsor out there and you're, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So now you live in the savior face instead of your ass because you don't know the difference. You think your face is your ass. You think what's being presented as you is you and it's not. That's why you need to save your ass instead of your face, man. Your face isn't helping you. But you've got to have a, the right anatomy class, because you keep calling your face your ass. <laughs> You're still trying to save the, the, the problem. You're trying to save the parasite at the expense of the host. Seriously. You're downsizing the ability and the entertaining possibility of the host to, to sort of tolerate or make okay the parasitical takeover. Because you can't entertain being free of it. Because you identify as it. If you can... Ent- See, once the identification as it is questioned, your mind will entertain you can be free of it. If you believe it's you, you cannot entertain being free of it. You can entertain... You can therapize it. You entertain... You can get esteem for it. You can entertain that maybe I can get it more civilized and socially correct. You may... Whatever, yeah? But you can't entertain being free of it because you think it's you. It's the perfect hideout for a hostile takeover by a nasty parasite. It's convinced the host that you're the host, that you're it. <laughs> so you can never entertain being truly rid of the parasite. This is the this is um this is trying you know, to me it's getting to the root, the real root of it. It's not obsession with self. That's not the root of it in my view. It's identification as self. And it's not obsession with self. It's identification as self. Because trying to get out of self is just as much obsession as thinking you're in it. You can get totally obsessed about getting out of self, just like you're totally obsessed about being in self. It doesn't matter to this modality. In and out is its fields. In and out, high, low, close and far, that's its playing field. One isn't the escape from the other. They're in cahoots, yeah? If you're in something, then you're going to entertain wanting to be out of it. That's being, quote-unquote, in it, in fact. It's trying to get out of it. Self can't get out of self. Why is that? Because there isn't one. You can't get out of something that you've never been in. It's impossible. You can't get out of something you've never been in. That's what confuses and perplexes everybody. They're trying to get out of something because they assume that they're in it. We're questioning that assumption. If you're not in it, you don't have to get out of it. That's being out of it. And it, it's not on you that you got out of it. Because if it was on you, you'd be in it again. Watch. Watch how the head entertains things. If you believe you achieve something, you can definitely... The, the moment you arrive, you can think, oh, I could do something to lose this. Yeah? It's all based on you again. It's another thing playing God. Constantly playing God and playing God and playing God. Telling you how close you are from the truth and how disconnected you are. People say that all the day. I feel really unsober today. I said, do you drink? They go, no, you're sober. There you go. (laughs) But I feel disconnected. Who's telling you that? Who's telling you you feel disconnected? If you feel really dis... Let's say you feel sick and tired. This happens here. But there's no you that's sick and tired. They're sick and tired, for sure. When you've been running around as what you're not, this is going to get so fucking sick and tired of it. It really is. It gets so sick and tired of running around with this giant parasite on it, yeah? <laughs> it really does. So, sick and tired is a valid experience here, but there's no you that's sick and tired. The, the real aspect of being sick and tired is a story about you being sick and tired. That's the real sickness and the tiredness, is the story about you being sick and tired. Yeah? There's just sick and tired. It's a jumping off point. When it's you that's sick and tired, then your mind will say, well, the you that's sick and tired has been sick and tired many times before, and I always go back out. And so therefore, I won't even take this 
Stop sign is a stop sign because I'm going to drive through it again as a me that's been sick and tired. But there is, if there isn't a me that's sick and tired and has a story about being sick and tired, you'll get whacked by that sick and tired. It will deliver the message that sick and tired is meant to deliver. Stop. Stop. Check it out. Take your head out of yourself's ass and look up. Stop. Let's see what occurs then. Instead of, oh, I've been sick and tired before. It's never made me stay sober. Fuck, you've just missed the whole message of sick and tired. Then you, what happens? You'll have to go back and revisit it over and over and over again. Because as soon as sick and tired is claimed by you, that sick and tired, it, does, it, does, it gets neutered. The message of being sick and tired gets neutered. Yeah? It doesn't strike right to the core in immediacy. It now gets drawn out. I've been sick and tired before. I'd be sick and tired again. No. You missed the point. It was like, it was like a give. It was like grace giving you a, a stop or a pause. It was like bit slapping you. Zen bit slap. That's what it is. It's like a startling. The selfing gets startled into, and then in that moment is the solution. In the pause. You get whacked into the pause. And there's the solution. Now, most of us don't even acknowledge the solution, and we get back into the linear story of Paul again. But thank God there's a lot of grace happens here, and then you'll probably get another one, and another one, and then hopefully one time there'll be a response to it. Yeah? And one experience of sick and tired could change your whole life, if you really got it, because you'd get off the dead horse, probably. And try to, instead of shopping for new saddles for it. It must be the saddle. No, the horse is dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get off the fucking horse. No, it's better hay. No, it's not better hay. It's not the quality of the food you're giving it. It's dead. Get off it. Yeah? But it seems like we're moving. Yes, that's right. It seems like it. It's a story your head's telling you. You're basically stuck in a place... You're just looping and looping and looping, going on. It's like being in a, in a racetrack. Let's say, and there's going to be 500 laps. So what happens is, there's like a crew that every few laps they change the scenery so it looks like it's different. But you're on the same track. The same old, same old, same old. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I have. I'm afraid I won't get what I want. I'm afraid they're going to get what I want, and I'm going to lose what they have. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Yeah? I have total faith in what's not happening, and I show... You can tell the devotees of what's not happening. You know, you know like the Hare Krishnas? They're actually more obvious than that. You can't, because they're living in total anxiety, because they're believing every thought that's happening. They're believing every thought. Every thought is registering an effect on in their physicality. Their nerves are shot. Their breath is super low. They can't. You try to hug one of them, it's like hugging a corpse. There's no life in them. Because they're in constant withhold. Yeah? They're dried up. They're like a vertical coffin. But they're per to total devotees to mind. Totally. Every thought, no matter how old and obviously it's old, they still believe it. It still registers a physical effect on them. So the mind, through anxiety, creates the physiological effects of fear. It's like it found a button, and it just... And you're getting, like, shocked every second. Worrying about what's not happening. It's incredible. Real fear only comes up a few times in your life, maybe 30, maybe 20, where you really, there's the fear, the emotion of fear arises because there's a threat right now and you've got to take flight or fight. Yeah? But we're in anxiety. The head's just beep, beep, let's see it, beep, let's see. <laughs> oh, Paul worked for two years ago on this vacation. Let him, let's make him think about work. Beep, beep, beep. So then he misses the vacation, so he has to take 8,000 pictures about the vacation to prove to himself he was on the vacation. And then he gets back at work and beep, beep, beep. I should have, I, wait, I, I fucking blew that vacation. Beep, beep. <laughs> it's like you're just getting shocked. Your whole system is wrecked. You're, you're so used to reacting to what's not happening, you're unconscious about what's happening. You don't even know you're consciously in contact today. Today is all about getting to goals and never seeing what's happening around you. It's rushing and rushing rushing, getting things done. For fucking what? There's never going to be an end to it. 
doesn't mean you don't do and have. You're always going to, you're an action figure. But the idea of it's you doing it and you having it is totally mistaken, in my view. Totally. And I can tell by the fruits of someone who travels that way and someone who doesn't travel that way. And I'm much more attracted to the fruits to, to, of the person who doesn't travel that way. They travel much lighter. And that's the whole point of being here, to me, is traveling light. So, AA, what we do, knowing we're so out to lunch, there's something called service, yes? Helping the newcomer. And when you do service, this is how I broke it down. This has been my experience of it. When you do service, you get what they call out of self. When you're out of self, you feel available. That's what being out of self is, because being in self is such an isolating little isolating tank, yeah? So you're out. And that availability, something happens in that availability. You sense a presence a lot of the time. So let's say you were hoping that girl that you wanted to talk to after meeting was going to supply that presence later on at your house. And then a newcomer breaks right and comes right up to the desk. And because you're beholden to AA, because of what's happened to you, so you bypass your little gender and you go out for coffee with that other person. And you actually feel what you were thinking that woman was going to bring you. You feel by helping that newcomer. Yeah? You feel available, and you sense a presence, and it feels better. You feel lighter. What happens is you go back, obviously, in the identification of self, and so there's a need to get out of self again. So you do more service. AA gives us so much opportunity. And you get out of there. You get out of self. You feel available once again. You sense a presence. Hey, this is pretty good. So maybe you, you start helping others. and become Just like when you do the steps with a sponsor, you get more out of them than when you did them by yourself. It's just the way it works here. Yeah? By giving it, you have it. Yeah. So, alright, so now you feel I do service, I, I get the sense of availability, or you feel like you're bigger, you know, spacious. And, and then I sense the presence. We call it the higher power. This is what happened with me. One time, I realized the presence is what I am. The presence. And the presence is always available. Always available. That's why it's present. It doesn't say past tense and future tense. Because if it's past and future, the possibility of it not being present makes, becomes real. Yeah? When it's past and future and present, it's the possibility of it not being present becomes real to you because you can make past and future seem so real. Yeah? But presence is just presence. So presence, I believe, is what we are, and therefore you're available. You can't help yourself. That's the nature of presence. It's available. Yes, it's like, <laughs> I mean, how could presence say I'm not present? <laughs> how could presence make a decision I'm not present? Its whole nature is presence. You can't say I'm not going to be present. It wouldn't be presence then, right? So presence <laughs> is available and therefore you're of service. So instead of having to do service to get that feeling, your attitude gets infused with it, and it's called being of service, just like with gratitude. I don't have that many experiences of gratitude anymore because my attitude's infused with gratitude. I don't have the comparison of being totally self-centered and then I feel grateful when I'm not. Yeah? Now it's more like it's infused with gratitude. Now you may not get the high and low of this place, but it's so much nicer. Same thing with surrender. That's one of the highest experiences in our program of recovery, surrender. It's a very big thing. People sing the praises of it. It's a very important situation. For me, I don't believe you can know what surrender is. It has to happen to you. Not every time. Once you can entertain what it is, then it can continue to happen. But for me, surrender wasn't brought about by the extremity or the, the extremeness of the circumstances. My surrender happened at a regular day at the office, just trying to get loaded and survive. Something broke through, there was something startled me into submission, my selfing and self-will stopped, and a portal opened, and it started the ball rolling that brought me to my first meeting the next night. And I've been sober and clean 21 years now. So that little moment of grace affected my whole life. Can you imagine if you entertained it? <laughs> Not, you know, instead of thinking you're a victim of it every once in a blue moon, but you could actually entertain the probability of that as a state? Fuck. Radical things could occur. So there I was. And so, in AA, what I found, looking at experiences that had surrender to do with it, is really what precedes the surrender, if you're lucky that the surrender happens, is that you forget that you're powerless. The power that's coming through you, that's not of you, gets, 
gets claimed by your selfing. So now you're starting to think, hey, I'm starting to get it together. And you're exerting that power. It's the same power, but you're exerting it thinking it's you or something about you. And usually it goes off, yeah? Any life run on self-will will hardly be a success. So certain things start happening. Certain things aren't working. And if you're lucky, there's like a bitch slap where you wake up out of it. If not, you can go on for years out there, yeah? You may never find day again. But what happens if that occurs and you get startled into awareness, what you do is, at that moment, you're admitting your powerlessness again. And then immediately you feel power. Yeah? Because you only experience powerlessness when you exert power that you don't have. The only time you get frustrated is when you're trying to make people do what you want and they're not doing it. Really? Or you, you want something you can't seem to get it. It's just, it's just screaming powerlessness, but it's because you're exerting power. If you stay in the admittance of powerlessness, you feel power all the time. Yeah? When you're feeling all power all the time, why I believe that? It's, that's what I call surrendered. It's a, it becomes a deal. You're convinced and there's no more need to forget and have to get surrendered again. You stay surrendered. Yeah? Now that state may not be that exciting to the mind that's looking for contrast and really highs and lows, but it's so beautiful. It's so freaking beautiful there because it's established now, yes? And once that gets established, a large, large mansion can be built on that space. A lot of things can be entertained. A lot of visitations can occur. You can hold a lot of stuff that you can't hold now because you're not afraid of the drug or anything. You're afraid of unconditional love, probably. You have such an opinion that you don't deserve it. This stuff starts happening to you. And so when something nice comes along, you don't sabotage it because you're okay about receiving it. If it wants to dance it with you, you'll dance with it. Yeah? Yeah. Everything changes. So, <laughs> so that surrendered state, to me... See, I believe there's quantum leaps in AA. Yeah? Most of it, what we look at in AA, we break it down into self-centeredness, which is doing and having. But even in the book, it, it leaves that state of doing and having, which is a lot of the beginning of AA... But there are segments of the recovery book that don't talk from there. It talks about you will cease fighting everyone and anything. You'll be, play, you know, you'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. In other words, you have put the ball down and you're not picking it up. Something else picks the ball up. Yeah? The problem will not exist for you anymore, which is an incredible solution. That's a way of living. That's not a fact. That's a fact in action. You live as if the problem doesn't exist for you. That, to me, is the most attractive thing about recovery is when someone's living that way. You're living as if the problem doesn't exist for you. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. So you'll cease fighting everyone and everything. You'll lose interest in yourself and gain interest in others. All these incredible things will happen with no thought or effort on your part, actually. You've already done all this thinking and efforting, in a way. Now you put the ball down and something picks it up and takes it the rest of the way. Many people don't get to the quantum station. They stay at the doing and having over and over and over again. And they don't realize, to me, there's another step. There's another phase that you can go, which is a much different ball game than doing and having and trying to control a situation so that you're good and everything is secure and safe. This is really, the security is in the unknowing. You're just really free-falling. Good and bad gets wishy-washy. Right or wrong gets wishy-washy. There's no really clear line about good or not good. It's all about what works or doesn't, really. It gets a lot different way of interpreting it. And you're really... It's in insecurity that you're truly secure. Really. This world wants security, but to me, it's based on the insecurity they're feeling. Their urge to have security here is just verifying the sense of insecurity that they're making real. Yeah? Fear begets security, and security begets more fear, and then more security, more fear. It's this vicious cycle. This is security out of an insecurity. You don't know what's going on, and it's totally okay with you. Yeah? It's trippy, yeah? So there's nothing, so there's nothing to protect or defend, because you don't even know what's happening, really, in a lot of ways. So you're totally, in, the mind is totally insecure. It may take a while for it to get used to it, because it wants a handle. It wants something to grab onto. It wants to know, Yes? has a giant drive to know. But like this teacher I was sharing a couple weeks ago about, she says it's in that I don't know 
That's where the peace of mind is. What's causing all the agitation is that you know. You think you know better. You think it should be a different way than it is. You think you got something coming. You think that you know that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. You're so sure of it, you're not open to any other inquiry. All that knowing is actually the cause of all the confusion and agitation. The, the peace of mind is an I don't know. That's the peace of mind. You would think it would be the other way. We would have, if, we, if we controlled stuff enough and we thought about it and knew it enough, it would be okay. It's actually the opposite. It creates the agitation that causes you your blindness. Yeah? When you're in the state of I don't know, that insecurity is the true security. Because there's no false things to hold on to. There's no saviors to be made to save your ass. Yeah, so that you can blame your uh, bondage on them when they don't do the trick. How can you be saved when there's no need to be saved? It's impossible. That's why they kill saviors, because they can't, you can't be saved. It's impossible. How can you be saved? From what? From this? This is not. That's the revelation that saves you. This, this is not. It can start to save you anyway. If you're wanting to be saved as this, good luck. <laughs> you're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> Repetition is helpful, and we have these meetings three times a week for 18 years now. What more do you fucking want, really? <laughs> uh, well, Paul isn't as clear as I want him to be. Good, find someone else. Do whatever you want, but, you know, don't judge the message by the messenger, because it's a way of saying no to the message. The message is like someone was trying to tell me I was a teacher the other day. I said, no, I'm a mailman, yeah? I'm just inviting you. I'm not, I don't want you to follow me home. I don't, fucking, I don't want any of that. I'm just, I'm just dropping something in the mail slot. And, you know, I'll keep inviting you three times a week. And then hopefully you can read it at your own leisure. And uh, hopefully you'll entertain it. Yeah? So you'll stop calling me and complaining about what's not happening. <laughs> I mean, if it was about what's happening, I may listen to you, but constantly, incessantly, it's about what's not happening. <laughs> Can, do I have to hear about what's not happening one more time? Please, let's... <laughs> what's happening? Possibility. What's happening is the possibility you're not enslaved to what's not happening. What's happening is your invitation is always available at all times, right where you are in the exact place you seem to be. That's what's happening. But in what's not happening, the, in what's not happening, the message may be in the Himalayas, yeah? It's, isn't it so convenient that it's so far away from you? So you don't have to respond to any ability? I can't afford the tickets, so I guess I, mean, I can't know the truth. I can't get to the Himalayas. It always wants to set requirements to sort of exile you or disqualify you from your being entertainment. It always makes some hoops I have to jump through. No, get back to me. I've got to get prepared to entertain this. No, you don't. It's all about not being prepared. That's when it catches you. It's prior to you ever even appearing. When you're going, I'm going to get ready, it's already there. <laughs> if you go like this, where is it? You'll never see it, because you're what's looking. So you go, oh, Paul, what's looking is what you're looking for. Where? All I can see is what's looking, exactly. All you can see is the looking, that's what's looking. It's not the you you've told a story about that's looking for. It's the looking, that's it. But does, don't I have to look a certain way? No. Looking is looking. Yeah? You're conscious. That's all you need. That's the requirement. You're conscious and you're in contact. Become aware of that conscious contact. Now, you may want to say, I want to get, you're calling that conscious contact something other than you. I'm just saying it's you, actually. You are conscious contact. You're not Tom that's in conscious contact. Tom is the story to divert you from the recognition of the conscious contact. The conscious contact is the solution. It's always available at all times while the story is running. Yeah? So the, as in the appearance of the problem, the solution is always there. The solution is always there. Always there. Because without the solution, there wouldn't be any entertaining of the problem. You wouldn't be conscious. You wouldn't be able to entertain how unconscious you are 
if you weren't conscious. Yeah? Or how conscious you'll be when you go on the retreat next week. So, any questions? <laughs> I swear to God, I dig it so fucking much. <laughs> it has no value whatsoever. You're getting nothing. It's so beautiful. I'm giving you absolutely nothing. It's so great. I left with nothing. Hallelujah. That's the fucking greatest thing. Aren't you folks sick and getting something? All you've been doing is looking for something your whole life. Yeah? It's amazing when you stop looking for something. That's nothing. There it is. What? I was expecting it to be something. That's why you were missing it. It's nothing. <laughs> Is this going to make me better? No. It has no value to you. It just points out you're not bad. Yeah, you want to pass the rest? Yes? Okay. Um, do you ever use prayer? Do I use prayer? Uh, no. No, I have no problem with prayer. I say the serenity prayer all the t- every day. When, you know, I've been. Like a lady said at that thing we went to, she's, she gave up giving, asking for what she wanted because she saw what she got when she didn't ask for was so much better. That to me is like, yeah, you're, I don't want to pray because I have a, an idea what I think it would be that would save me, and that's not what saves me. It's the giving up those ideas of what I think will save me is really saving me. So, but every you know, at given times, everything has value here because you're giving it the meaning it has. So, if you feel like you're really screwed, then prayer is incredible. They're not, they're not separate. When you relieve the, the bondage of self, you do die that will, if you want to call it that will. That's what occurs. You don't have to pray the second part, really. When the bondage of self is relieved, you'll realize you're doing exactly what thine will wanted to happen, because it's happening. It's beautiful, eh? Yeah. Can you explain that part you say sometimes about if for one second or one moment you're free of all Well, every, every, every sample shows a principle in it. See? We try to isolate the sample and think it only happened randomly at that moment. But if, there, if something could be startled into submission, it never actually had any momentum to begin with. It wasn't required to exist. No. See, if you if, give one moment of freedom, you can have many more. I've had that example, because I remember I had, was getting this operation once, and they had me on local anesthesia, and they built a little wall, because they were operating, operating on my leg. So I was awake, but I couldn't see what they were doing, you know, the mercy of it. And you know, they had a nice wall. So. But I was laying there, and they had those big aluminum bowls with the lights in them, really bright. I was laying there, and then uh, something came over me, like a free sample came over me, and... and, and uh, the emphasis left selfing, yeah? And for a split second, there was like an infinite amount of joy in a very nanosecond. And it's hard to say, but there was a huge download of something. And one of the first things that came, that how it translated into my crazy hieroglyphics, you know, my head, was Jesus Christ. This little taste made everything I've ever been through worthwhile, no matter what it was just so that I was here to have this taste. And it erased 40 years of story in a nanosecond. And I showed, if anything can be erased that quickly, it mustn't have existed to begin with. Yeah? It took, took no time to erase all this writing that took all that time to write. 40 years of a story, like that. It's like the best way to erase a chalkboard, there's no chalk on it. <coughs> all an illusion because it was just so fast I realized how could that have any it would have, if it was real it would have taken a little while to get rid of don't you think you'd have to 
pick it up. And, oh, here's the first story he was telling himself. And then another story. And, oh, this big one here. No, it was just, pick, gone. So in that moment, a principle was revealed. The principle was, it has no real existence to begin with. That's what happens. So in the, in the drop of water, it can intimate the ocean. Yeah? The mind can entertain that. It doesn't need a radical, earth-shattering event. The smallest little sample, you see the whole principle of it. You see the truth mag- magnified by your own entertaining of it. So it may be a simple little kernel of truth, but your ability to entertain magnifies it into an eternal solution. Yes? That's the possibility that's available. The mind, that's what I'm talking about. So principles can be seen in the smallest example. Once you see the principles, principles usually override contemporary circumstances and situational effects. They override them. They're a principle. They're sound over a long period of time. Well, beyond principle can be demonstrated in one moment of invitation. It's available. And your ability to entertain, if it's been learning to be free of all the ups, you're entertaining so much what's not happening. It's, It's exhausting. It's using a lot of your entertaining skills to make what's not happening seem real. That's a pretty yeoman's job, to make what's not happening seem real to you. It's a lot of work. You know, acceptance is the easiest thing in the world, and yet it's a very hard topic for us to share at at recovery groups, yeah? Because there's so much resistance to what is. So we call acceptance. We've got to have acceptance. But acceptance is the easiest thing at all. I I don't have any desire to have anything changed that's already so here. Yeah? I don't want someone who isn't here to be here. I don't want someone who's here not to be here. I have absolutely nothing to do with this place. That's acceptance. Isn't that the easiest thing in the world? But to our head, it seems so difficult. But wouldn't it actually, isn't it difficult to make what's not happening seem real? To me, that's incredible work. Yeah? I mean, we're busy toiling constantly, producing anxiety that comes out of nothing. There's no threat right now. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing to worry about. Your whole muscles and the sinews and the nervous and the, the what, what are they called, receptors and transmitters, they could all be firing nicely. But instead, the mind's getting in there, going, shooting anxiety messages through the body all day. Why? Because it's reacting to what's not happening. And then in what's not happening, you're looking for a solution. What a mistake! How are you ever going to find the solution to what's not happening? The solution is is recognizing it's not happening. That's the only solution that works on it. (laughs) How could any other solution work? It would all be part of what's not happening. So just tell the truth. Hey, what I'm totally engaged with in my head is what is not happening. And I'm saying, don't even worry about that. When you see that engagement, just entertain it's not you that's engaged in what's not happening. The mind, yes, that is what's not happening, is engaged in what's not happening. You have nothing to do with it. You're just the witness of it. You're the consciousness that's aware of it. But you forget you're conscious of it when you think you're the object, the pole. Yeah? That can travel into what's not happening. This is about, you're missing it. The awareness is demonstrating the truth and your interpretation that I'm aware is the lie. You don't have to become more aware. Just drop the eye and you'll see there's plenty of awareness as it is. Yeah? You don't need to be super turbo aware. There's, it's just dog shit awareness. It's like in Buddhism, on one level they call it relaxed awareness. You're not concentrating, nothing. It's just normal consciousness. Noticing it. I mean, there's an awareness as it and of it, and that's the way to travel. You're just aware of it. Yes. So uh, here we talk about being in service. How you know we get. I already got the money. I can leave now. (laughs) (laughs) So we get out of this, and what I've been really noticing, like I had a week of of being out of town and away from my life, and and, and I was really in every conversation. Every conversation was about this, and 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 and, you know, my mind took the back seat, and, and and presence was there for the most of the last week. It was just you know awakenness. Yeah. So what 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 I have kind of been finding is that now I'll go to sleep at night, and when I'm dreaming, I'm wide awake. Yeah, right. And then I come back to this, though, and then it's I come back to this, like, ooh, okay, okay, and it's like I'm kind of 
back to the little bit of the fight that's still there. It's basically a little bit of the conflict that's still there. But it's like, can you speak to anything about this when you're asleep, you're awake? Yeah, you're totally awake. totally awake. Like, wow. And then I come back and it's like, okay, I've got to be back to this again. That's sort of, they, they give it different names. Sometimes they call it lucid dreaming. So you're aware that you're dreaming. Yeah, there's an awareness. You're not lost as the object of the dream or the objects of the dream. You're aware that there's, you're the dreamer. Yeah, that's being awake. That's available. Most people forget that awakeness and they become, they become identified with the object of the dream. So in other words, if you're the object of a dream, a dream tiger is going to scare the shit out of you. Yeah, because you're going to give it reality because you think you're real as the dream object. So whatever dream object appears you're going to take it to be real because you're taking you, which is a dream object, to be real. In this dream, the same thing happens at night. So, best way to get over the fear of that dream tiger is to wake up. Yeah? Once you realize it's a dream tiger, there's no threat anymore. Yeah? You don't have to study how to, be, how to live as if there isn't a threat when there's really a threat and nothing like that. It's just, hey, that's a dream. That's it. That's what happens. So, lucid dreaming or being conscious that you're dreaming is cool. It's a really nice sample. And, and, and in that conscious dreaming, though, is conscious awakeness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like there's no there. It's it's God consciousness in there. And then all of a sudden, I wake back up though into a reality that's not quite all there. It's well, like, you're not waking up to a reality. This is this is this you're is waking up like, to another this dream. Is the funny little thing that's happening is like what you know. And I wake up and I'm like, wait. <laughs> this is the waking dream. This is the waking dream. It's very much like the sleeping dream. But we call it the waking dream because we've given it duration and time and more meaning. But it's the exact same. You're dreaming. Your mind's dreaming. In this, yeah, you're the dream object, your mind's dreaming, but you're identified with the object, so you forget that the mind's dreaming it. In the Course in Miracles, they had a, a, a one line that says, you and I are the dreamer of the dream. Yeah? We're the dreamer of this dream. We forgot that we've dreamt the dream. And we've given everything we dreamt all the, the power to affect us as a dream object. Yeah? So this place seems real because this seems real. When this doesn't seem so real, this will have less effect on you, this world. That's just what happens. You start, and a beautiful statement, of course, says, it's so gorgeous, the compassion in it. It says, you know what's going to happen? You and I, it's inevitably, we're all awake. There was never a sleeping person. Yeah? So what's going to happen, though, in this place we're in, we're going to dream ourselves out of the dream. Yeah? In other words, the dreamer is going to dream him and herself. There's no him and her, but let's just say. The dreamer is going to dream him and herself out of the dream. And whilst doing so, the dream will get happier. What a beautiful, beautiful relief for any tension that this is a race. It has nothing to do with it. It's none of this is not real, nor will it ever be real, no matter how much you want it to be real, this place. It's not real. You're the dreamer of it. So when you're dreaming it, you're gonna, the dream is going to, in effect, seem like you're dreaming it out of it. Yes? And while you're dreaming yourself out of the dream, it will get happier. <laughs> That's what I call traveling lighter. The dream, you start traveling lighter through the dream. The dream gets happier, and there's a dreaming yourself out of it. Yes? The dreamer. See, the dreamer is not the dreamt object. It's the dreamer. Yes? The mind's entertaining that it's a body, but it's not a body. It's entertaining it. That's its dream. Yeah? And so it gets very, very in, in, invested in the dream and, get ton, and tons of meaning into the dream to make it seem as real as real can be. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like pouring color into a movie. It's like panavisioning and technicoloring it. It's giving tons of meaning. It's called a subjective experience. So each, the dreamer... The dream is having millions of subjective experiences in the dream because it seems to be located in these separate, unique, separate entities. So it's like one camera with eight billion tripods. <laughs> yes? The same light is going to, into, the undifferentiated light is going through eight billion cameras, which are the objects, and the undifferentiated light gets differentiated through this body and perceptual apparatus, and then it appears to be a world of things, yes? And each separate tripod will have their own experience of that world. Eight billion different experiences with one stage. That's unfucking believable eh? That something could have that ability to say, okay, we'll make one stage called the world, 
But we're not going to have one experience of that world. We're going to have 12 billion experiences of the same world. Woo! Can you imagine if you surrendered to that mind? How you could, how, what it could do entertaining through you? It doesn't have to change a damn thing. The entertaining doesn't even have to change. The sense or the intimation of that will change everything in you. You may do the same thing that you're doing, but it won't be you doing it. Yes? It's a subjective experience, yes? You and I give everything the meaning it has. If you can... There's, there's so many opportunities for different places of meaning giving. We're in self-centeredness. We're going through the same old, same old meaning, trying to rehash them and make them look new. And we're stretching them out in time. But your antenna, if it... Right now it's picking up K-Paul, let's say. Constant, 24-7, K-Paul, all about K-Paul. It has the ability to pick up other frequencies. You'll pick up other modalities, and some modalities don't have self as their center. How they're going to interpret, interpret this place will not be based on self. They'll interpret it totally differently. And you'll be the conductor of that, and you'll be conscious of it, and they'll see, like, my world has shifted because the meaning that this apparatus has been giving it has shifted. Because you're picking up a new frequency. You're not stuck on K-Pole anymore. Yes? Your antenna can pick up a lot of different modalities. It's just addicted or stuck in this one modality, and it's crippling us. So you keep entertaining the same old, same old, making it more neurotic. You know what I mean? It's like having a great marathon runner running around in a little lap down in your cellar. Like a four-by-four lap. It's It's getting totally fucking neurotic. It wants to run out and run. It wants to entertain other possibilities than, I will be better someday. If I get this and have this, I'll be okay. I'll have success and everyone will think I'm okay when I'll be worried every second of the day. But I'll look like I've got it. All this fucking bogus solution to an imaginary problem. Well, we're going to pass the basket again. I just get another talk.